you want to get in on the action, we want to hear from you. Email us at faderoutemail at gmail.com with your questions, comments, picks, segment suggestions, you name it. We want to hear from you. We're on Instagram too. Slide in our DMs at Fade Route Podcast. Get at us. Welcome to the Fade Route with D and Z. Here are your hosts, D and Z. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of The Fade Route with DNZ. I am Z, and we got a big show for you. We're talking Mets injuries. We're talking Carl Nassib's big announcement. And we are talking a lot of basketball. How much is a lot? The entire first block. We're talking that much basketball. And we're starting with basketball, too. We have some breaking news as the Boston Celtics have made a decision on who is going to replace Brad Stevens. Ironically, Brad Stevens is the one who's finalizing the deal with the coach. It is Ime Udoka, who is an assistant coach uh, most recently with the Brooklyn Nets. And in the past, he's also been a part of the U.S. national team coaching roster. And... That was the leg up for him because he already has established relationships with Jalen Brown, with Jason Tatum, with the key cogs of the Boston Celtics. So one of the first dominoes to fall in the uh, NBA hot stove, which is going to get started very, very soon as we have the combine coming up and then we have the draft and... The draft lottery was actually last night, and that was won by the Detroit Pistons. So congratulations to the Pistons. Uh, They earned the right to draft probably Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State, but you never know. You you never want to speculate as to who you're going to take, especially in a relatively deep draft like this. You have Suggs uh, from Gonzaga. There's always some Euro floating around. You know, for every Luka Doncic, there's a Frederick Weiss. So, who knows? I'm not going to speculate yet as to who it's going to be for the Pistons, but it's most likely going to be Cade Cunningham based on what we've seen this past year. Followed by the Rockets, Cavs, and Raptors to round out the top four. A lot of... A lot of big teams with some significant picks to round out the rest of the top 10. You're looking at Orlando, Oklahoma City, who has a ton of draft capital going into the next few years. Sam Presti has done an amazing job there. Golden State, their first of two to round out the lottery. So they actually get Minnesota selection from there. Another Orlando pick through Chicago. Sacramento and New Orleans. So this is going to be a very big NBA draft just for the simple fact that you have multiple teams with multiple picks and you can go a couple different ways. You know, 
Um, it's either draft and draft and draft and get as much talent, accumulate as much talent as possible, or wheeling and dealing. I love to see the wheeling and dealing aspect of it, especially for a team like, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder. You package a couple of those picks together, you can get a monster player. And we'll talk more about that very shortly. But congrats again to the Detroit Pistons. You guys have earned it for being bad for so long. And here he is. I've known this guy since our days on Carousel Shoes. Like crew through and through. The last QB in St. John's history. What's up, D? How's it going, man? Hey, great to be here. Uh, NBA draft is always an interesting one. You never really know how the chips are going to fall. There's always a lot of speculation out there. Uh, and it's it's hard to get better through the draft with the NBA. Just because there are so few college players that actually turn out to be NBA players. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Pistons haven't been good for a while. Uh, Cunningham seems like the obvious choice there. I don't know if he's a franchise changer. He's not a ball. He's not a Williamson. Uh, <laughs> he's not a Ben Simmons. <laughs> but, Nobody is. but uh, you know, they definitely have something to look forward to. I, last show we talked about Orlando possibly getting in the mix there. Uh, they don't get they don't get the top pick, but there's talent in this draft. So the top five teams or the top five picks should be able to get better. How do you feel? How do you think Houston feels about this? They did such. They stripped this down to the bare bones. They brought in Steven Silas. They got rid of Westbrook. They got rid of Harden, and they only they only get the number two out of it. You think they you think they're feeling a certain kind of way? No, I think they understand that this is going to be a couple. It's going to be a project. This wasn't going to be something that was going to be solved overnight by one player. This is something that's going to be built on in time. I would imagine probably the next two to three years, they're going to have a top five pick, especially being in the West. So I think this is all part of a plan for management um, that it's going to take some time to uh, develop the team, to attract free agents and to compete at a high level again. I mean, you got to remember for the last five years, I mean, they were competing for a title. Yeah. Um, You know, in the NBA, you don't always get that big of a window. That's when you, especially when you don't have like a LeBron James on your team. I mean, yeah, they had James Harden, but not everybody knew what James Harden was when he got there. So uh, they know it's a project. I think the Pistons also know that they have to work it out for them. Most of those teams picking in the top five, top four, it's gonna be, it's gonna take some time. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was just a lot of, I mean, with the exception of the Raptors, just some of the worst of the worst. But uh, transitioning to the Adoka hire, I mean, he was one of the finalists along with Chauncey Billups and uh, Darvin Ham. So, and blast from the past, and a name we haven't heard in, in forever. So, oh, what do you think of the Adoka hire? And uh, do you think that this is going to be, you know, what the cure for uh, what ails the Boston Celtics? I just don't know. Uh, I don't really, I don't really know much about his scheme. 
and what he's going to coach there. I was a big Brad Stevens guy, and I thought he was a really good coach. But you notice the last two years, especially this year, that the the the, the players were just not playing at a high level. And that was really affecting his coaching. And we're going to talk about Kemba Walker later, but he was one of the main contributors to that. You have Jason Tatum, who's a star. You have Jalen Brown, who is a a great competitor. So they're going to need to add another star. And they're going to have to change their identity because – what they were the last four years is not gonna is not gonna work the next four years. Uh, what what Jason Tatum is is he's he needs to be he needs to decide like am I am I gonna be the am I gonna be the guy who's gonna drop 30, 40 points a night or am I gonna be the guy that drops 30 points a night and is a main facilitator to other people on the team? And we've talked about this off off the air. We've talked about this in production readings. Terry Rozier was a big part of that team. Uh, and uh, even, you know, um, <laughs> and the point and even the point guard position is, is very important to uh, the Boston Celtics. No, 100 percent, especially if you're not going to have somebody like a Kemba Walker. You're not going to have a distributor. And I don't think Tatum. I mean, Tatum's more an ISO and drive kind of guy. You're gonna, you're not gonna. He's not gonna be a facilitator in terms of like creating opportunities for other people. And you can see just from the way he put the team on his back, a lot of it was necessity. But a lot of that, you know, is his game as is anyway. Just you know, you're gonna. He's gonna go for forty six. He's gonna go for forty eight. So. I mean, you wonder if this does change the identity of his team. We're going to see what they do if point guard is going to be more something they uh, go through free agency to address or maybe something. I don't, you know, stranger things have happened drafting a rookie point guard and trying to, you know, trying to learn on the job kind of thing. So we'll, we'll see what Udoka is going to do. I know he uh, he did coach under Pop, so... I think he's definitely he's definitely going to be prepared for the job. So while he may be a rookie in terms of being a head coach, I think he I mean he's been learning under the right people. I mean, he's been learning under Pomp. He shared assistant coaching duties this year with Mike D'Antoni. So he's been rubbing elbows with some pretty influential and pretty good coaches. So we'll see if anything rubbed off on him and kind of created something that um, the Celtics can play off of. Yeah. So like Kyrie Irving was, you know, a, a big part of that Boston team. He played the point guard position the way it needed to be played. They brought in Kemba Walker expecting that same high level of play. And I don't think they ever really got it. It's time for the fade in where we give a nod to the trending sports stories of the week. And then you look at a team like the Suns, who who have flourished with Chris Paul at point guard. They went from a team that didn't make the playoffs to now two games away from going to the NBA Finals. They take a 2-0 series lead 
against the Clippers without Chris Paul. So can these young guns, Booker, Aiton, Bridges, is it their time? Have they arrived? It's hard to it's hard to argue against it the way that they played. Granted, I mean it was a one point victory last night. It was one oh four, one oh three, a game winning alley oop to DeAndre Ayton. But when you have contributions from Ayton, from Booker, from Cameron Payne, you had uh, Dario Saric showed up. You you have you have contributions throughout. It's hard to beat. And with the Clippers, they are playing shorthanded and significantly since Kawhi Leonard is not on the team. He's not on the team right now. And, you know, who knows if he's going to have that Willis Reed moment. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know his body. I don't know what's going on. This has been a, an issue with Kawhi Leonard all the way back to San Antonio in terms of load management and stress on the body. So we'll see if he's able to make any kind of effort into getting back into this because he is a defensive stalwart. He's a great defensive player in addition to being an all-around, you know, a, a great scorer. So you lose a it's a double whammy for the Clippers. They have to rely on Paul George. They have to rely on guys like Pat Bev. They gotta rely on playoff Rondo. You gotta rely on, you know, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson is stepping up. So I don't know if that is enough for the Clippers to hang in this series if Booker and Aiton, specifically Booker, who dropped 40 in game one, I don't know if that's enough for the Clippers to hang in this series. So the Suns, I'm hesitant to say that this is going to propel them all the way to a championship, but they are looking really good right now. And it's good that Chris Paul is out now which means he's healthy for the finals if they make it that far. Yeah, I'm not going to jump the gun on this. I think it's a, it's it's nice that they're up 2-0, but these games are also played in Phoenix. They're playing the Clippers without the Clippers' best player. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not so quick to anoint these young guns as being arrived. Uh, I'm impressed by their nine straight wins, but let's see how they do on the road. Let's see what happens when Kawhi comes back. Uh you know, they still got six more games. They got six more games to win before they become a champion. Agreed. And, uh, you know, role players like your Jay Crowders, like your Cameron Paynes, they, they show up at home. The real test is when they go to when they go on the road and we'll see what they're made out of. But you got to like what you've seen so far. Um, you know, plus minuses are strong. They're scoring both Aiton and Booker. Um, Aiton slipped a little bit. He was minus seven in game one, but definitely rebounded well in game two. So, you know, it remains to be seen what the rest of this team is going to produce. But in terms of the Clippers, it's got to be that they need more. They just need more. I know Zubac had a pretty good game. In game Botch three. that last play, though, man. <laughs> Keep him away yeah. from the basket. What are you doing? Put your hand up. Yeah, I mean, one tell day. him a story. Spit his ear. Keep him away from the basket. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's one one play, one play among many. It's the most important play of the game. But at the same point, 
he's the only one who took a significant step up. You have Kennard who put who contributed with 10. Everybody else is hovering in single digits, man. They need more. And I don't know if their roster is capable of more. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard. Right, right. But I mean, I'm really more excited about this Bucks Hawks series. Uh I'm I'm really I'm really rooting for the Hawks because to me they seem like the better team, the more complete team. They they competed hard with the Knicks. They took the 76ers to seven games. They can shoot. They have height. They have depth. They're young. And they have a superstar. I mean, they they have ascended so quickly from a team that seemed like they were dead in water in the in, during the season. Now all of a sudden they're like, wow, we could actually get to the NBA Finals this year. And you know, there's there's no Lakers on the other side, and and Kawhi's hurt, and Phoenix is young. I mean, we have a chance here. And with the Bucks, the Bucks is just lousy coaching. No real play, no real plays, no real set plays. Lots of ISO ball with Giannis. Giannis can't shoot. He can't hit free throws. He's scared to guard the best player in the opposing team. We're gonna find out. The best part about this series, we're going to find out if Bogdanovich chose the right team. Yeah. <laughs> so that's exciting. He's, he's playing he's playing out of his mind. He's shooting so well. Um, you could tell he wants to win. So that series I'm looking more forward to because I want to see the Hawks take it to the Bucks. Even before it was the Bogdanovich series, it was the Coach Budenholzer series because he used to coach the Hawks before he went to the this is this is big time. So this is the old team versus was wrong, but you know it's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be interesting to see because if you look at that game, everybody right. And granted, they they did take the Nets the, the them to overtime, and then the net the Bucks were able to pull away, but everybody was able to show up for that game seven, and that is something that hasn't happened routinely. So either Giannis had a great game, and Middleton was eh. Middleton was pretty good, and Giannis was kind of falling off. And Brooke Lopez something. Drew Holiday was in the witness protection program for some of this. So I'm very interested. Can do against a better team, so to speak, because you have Collins and Capella. You have bigs you have bigs that can rebound and play defense you have herder he can shoot gallinari he can shoot bogdanovich he can shoot and trey young is your facilitator and i'm i'll be interested to see if trey young gets the superstar calls because you know how he likes to kind of maneuver his body and they're changing the rules next year to kind of kind of work away from what Trey Young has been able to do this year and just kind of throw your body into it and hope you'll get a foul call. So I, I'm very interested. This is definitely going to be a well-contested series. It's not going to be, a, it's not going to be a sweep in either direction. It's not going to be a, you know, a gentleman sweep either. I can definitely see this going for the long haul and the, the Hawks have a legitimate shot here. Absolutely. They do. Yeah, I, I agree. That's why, to me, this is the more compelling series, uh, especially, you know, they're they're not dealing with 
injuries and they're not dealing with COVID the way the other series is. Yeah. Uh, and I, and the, I think the best part about this series is, is we know the best team is going to come out on top. So true. Um, and, and that's why, and that's why I'm excited because I think the Hawks are, I think the Bucks are a shit team, and I want to see them, I want to see them get eliminated. Well, there we go. There, there's a drop right there, guys. There, there's a drop right there if um, we're able to make that happen. But um, transitioning from the victors to the losers of the previous series, who was more of a disappointment in your opinion? The Nets or the Sixers? I'm so glad you asked that question. I was so excited to talk about this because, man, <laughs> you want to talk about two trash teams. Both are huge disappointments. Let's let's first talk about the Brooklyn Nets. They should be embarrassed with themselves. They're trying to be New York's team. Oh, man, you're going to have to do more than that. You got Steve Nash as the coach, Blake Griffin as a player, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, and you can't get out of the second round. And worse than that, you got beat by the Bucks at home in Game Seven. DeAndre Jordan doesn't play. Joe Harris not only can't hit shots, but he can't even catch simple passes. Like, what is happening? No real plays, mostly ISO ball. Play calls for the Nets in reg- at the end of regulation was for Kevin Durant to take a shot off the left-hand side. He tried to take a three to end the game, hits it, his foot was on the line, it's a two. Oh, at the end of the first overtime, yeah, let's run the same play at the top of the key. This time, he takes a turnaround shot, barely takes a look at the basket, and of course he misses it. They got what they deserved. Great play call, Steve Nash. Glad you drove that one up. You got all these people on your coaching staff, like D'Antoni, and you. this is what you come up with. But this is what happens when you just put a guy in there. Like, you needed a coach. You needed a, you needed a uh, lieutenant. Awful. Now for the 76ers. Ben Simmons, get out of here. My, <laughs> man's, wearing, my man's wearing a shooting sleeve, and he doesn't even take any shots. <laughs> Can't shoot free throws. Immediately gives up the ball as soon as he gets to ha- he gets the rebound, dribbles up court, either gives the ball up before reaching half court or gives the ball up as soon as he gets to the other side of half court. The hell are you doing? Five points in a game seven at home, and you're a max player, former all number one pick, former overall number one pick. Thirty six minutes of play. If I put you in for thirty six minutes, I'm pretty sure you'd score more than five points. And Doc Rivers. Can you only win championships when you have three Hall of Famers on your team? Maybe you should go sign your son again. Then you can have an egg, you can have an excuse. Jeez. Having said all that, I think Brooklyn's the more disappointing team. What an embarrassment. Glad these two teams are out. Trash. Straight trash. In terms of expectations, Brooklyn is Brooklyn had more expectations. I agree. I gotta say though, Harden showed up. Durant showed up. The guys who were supposed to show up showed up. You said all that needed to be said about Ben Simmons. I can't heap any more on top of that. Right. Two or four. Yeah, 50%. Very efficient. <laughs> very, that's all I can say. Very efficient. Now, clearly, Ben Simmons is listening uh, to the show. He's listening to the show. Because what we say last week, 
if you're only going to take four shots, you better have double digit assists. And he did. He had 13 assists. So bully for you, buddy. But, dude, you can't shoot for shit. And Doc Rivers is talking about how we're putting the right work in and we want him to work the right way. He's probably not going to play for Australia in the Olympics. Like that. (laughs) They don't want him. Right. They, they, they're like, we're in contention for a medal. We kind of don't want you. So we're good. Like, you, you go stay in Philly. But we got this. But you can't say that Joel Embiid's a soft player anymore. Like, you can't say – I mean, he showed up. He did what he could do. Tobias Harris showed up. I mean, Ben Simmons is just – he's not – who they're not who we thought they were like Dennis Green again but but who did anybody ever think at what point he considered overrated but what 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 did anybody expect from him though like I've never I've never even in college I never saw this like amazing player that was like so like so great that he had to go number one like you think about Andrew Wiggins you think about Devin Booker didn't even go number one like what, how does this guy still have a job? I don't know. And he's playing in Philly. And that's like the, one of the toughest markets to play in from your fans. You had five points in 40-plus minutes? Tobias Harris had more points than you, man. And Tobias Harris is a better player than him. So he should. But I think we can definitely say, without a degree of doubt, the process has failed. Right? You had Markel Fultz got freaked out so much they had to deal him to Orlando. He's finally rebuilding his career somewhat. Imagine if they took Tatum in that draft, <laughs> the number one pick. Oh, God. Like, they'd actually be contenders. They'd actually oh, my God. They, they probably have a championship. They probably have a championship right now. Exactly. At least one. Yeah. So, I think we can all agree that that process, it, it just did not work. I disagree with you. I don't. I don't think the process did not work because they did get Joel Embiid. They had some talented players come through that didn't stay. But I mean, like for the last <laughs> for the last for the last two years, last three years, they're competing for a championship. Yeah, I know they just got knocked out. They got knocked out in the game seven, and Ben Simmons forgot how to play basketball. I mean, that's how that's what happened there. Okay, but I think. And and maybe there maybe there maybe he's paying, playing the wrong position, maybe he's shooting with the wrong hand. I don't know, I don't know, but I just he he I I don't know. And most of his shots come from within the paint too. He doesn't even take three point shots. How do you not even take three point shots as a point guard? Because they're not even D in you, bro. It's in his head. It's it's psychological. At some point. At some point, he had he realizes it. We all do. Like, if you're ever in that moment, and sometimes it gets too much for you. And it definitely looked like it was too big of a moment for Ben Simmons, but he is a veteran, which is even more bizarre. It's not the like other, Markel Fultz. Yeah. Markel Fultz the, just shit the bed from day one. The other thing that hurt, I think, the 76ers, but they didn't have Danny Green. I think that really hurt. I mean, he's really – he's a real sharpshooter. He's really – deadly from three uh Coddington was coming in and helping them out but uh and like you said Joel Embiid was all world um he had but, uh, to, but just to go back to the Nets I I mean 
to say they showed up, I mean, Harden was hurt. You could tell he was hurt. He couldn't drive to the basket. He was short on all of his shots. And then Kyrie was out. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's an excuse, but to say that they showed up, I don't really think they showed up. And for Kevin Durant, yeah, great. That's great, Kevin Durant. You had all these points and, and you played really well, but you still lost. Like to me, he's not going to get the respect of the old timers if he's not able to win a championship, not on his own, but just be the guy. Like he went to Golden State and won a championship with a team that already won a championship. And he was one of the guys on that team, not the guy on the team, right? Now you go to Brooklyn and you and you bring it and Kyrie's there and now Harden comes there. I mean, most of us can argue that Harden was the MVP this year, not Kevin Durant. So I don't think they could win with the role players they currently have. Like I said, Joe Harris couldn't catch a pass and couldn't and couldn't make a shot. Like they need quality role players to come in and play for that team because in a seven game series, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You come to that last game, people are hurt, people are having a bad night. Anything can happen. Well, here's my question to you then. What would you consider that the James Harden trade was unnecessary? Because Karis LeVert would have been there, you know. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, he didn't get hurt. He opted out of his contract. He's now a free agent. So, I mean, we'll see what, what happens there. And they had to give up several of their pieces, several good depth pieces, in order to get that third star. So, ultimately... It's kind of like would, we'll play a quick game of Would You Rather. Would you rather have the guys you traded for James Harden or the or James Harden in that scenario? I don't really know if the result changes. That's the thing is I don't really know if it changes. Like they're basically the Oklahoma City Thunder, and instead of having Russell Westbrook, they have Kyrie Irving. Right. And I actually think the role players that were on OKC were probably better. They had Stephen Adams on that team. They did think they had Serge Ibaka on that team. They did. That. Ibaka was on they that had, team. They, they, had Nico- they, they had Nick Collison on that team, I'm pretty sure. I think they had Kendrick Perkins at one point, possibly. Yeah. But uh, so that's that's where you are. Now, the other thing is, is these guys are pretty locked in. I don't think they're – I don't think they're going to opt out or leave. I mean, they might, might be worth exploring trading one of them. Um, but that's that's a, that's something that the Nets are going to have to figure out in the offseason. But one thing that the Celtics figured out really early was is Kemba Walker needs to go, and I kind of <laughs> called that as soon as Brad Stevens became the GM. I said, first thing that needs to happen is Kemba Walker's salary has got to get out of here because this guy, this guy is this guy can't play on this team. And Sam Presti looked at it and said, yo, I'll take him. So did Sam Presti fleece Brad Stevens in this deal? To go over the particulars of the deal, Boston sent Kemba and the 16th overall pick plus a 2025 second rounder to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City now has, I think, 18 draft picks in the next upcoming drafts, which is insane draft capital. Sam Presti is doing – he's doing some major work. 
And in exchange for Kemba Walker, a first-round pick and a second, you got Al Horford, you got Moses Brown, ooh, and a 2023 second-round pick. There's no way you there's no way you can tell me that Sam Presti didn't just work Brad Stevens. You you got a salary dump and you gave up a first round pick. <laughs> and a first yeah. round pick. One or the other, not both. But you're bringing back Al Horford. Right? Maybe that'll make a difference. He's been there before. He's a veteran presence. He He's familiar with the Boston market and can probably – Probably add some. Talking about the chicken place, or are you talking about the area? I mean, (laughs) he he may well be uh, familiar, well versed with Boston Market. I mean, not as much as Perk is, if you've seen him lately. But, uh, you know, he'll provide some veteran presence to a team (laughs) that, you know, could desperately need some up front because right now it's who? Taco Fall and uh, Williams. And, you know, uh, they're young. They do have a. They're young, so they could definitely use a veteran presence up front, but not, n- not for the price that Brad Stevens just paid. Yeah, I kind of disagree. I I don't think he got fleeced. I mean, the the goal for him was to dump this salary. He had to dump it. He had to get rid of it. I'm not sure there's really a market for Kemba Walker, especially w- after what happened the last couple of years. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, he's a Bronx guy, Christ mm-hmm. the King, UConn, and like all he had to do was step in and be Kyrie Irving, kid from Jersey who went to Duke, and he couldn't do that. Uh, Brad Steven knows who Kemba is, and he's just not a big market point guard in the NBA. Like that's not who Kemba is. Kemba's I can play for Charlotte. I can play for the Sacramento Kings. I can play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like, that's who Kemba Walker is. I believe he had this. I, I Like I said, I had this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a small – he's a small market guy, and I think everybody got what they wanted out of the deal. Where you lose me is the pick. You lose me at the first-round pick. I mean, I, I just oh, – I, I, in a market – where you need you can make that up play. though. You you can make that up. You can make that up down the line. You can get you can get you can get the first round pick in other ways. I don't think you're really losing out much on that because, like I said, the Thunder got to take on this salary. This hand straps them too, unless they're able to restructure his deal. So you, He's that's not that's the there for long, man. I but that's the but that's the whole thing. Like, that's that that's the thing you're failing to. I think you're failing to pick up on. It's just like. No small team, right, could take him because of his salary. So if I'm taking him and his salary, you got to give me assets. you got to give me something because I can't really build a team with him on it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and, the big ma- and, the big, and the big market teams, the big market teams don't want him. Like, the Knicks don't want him. The Hawks don't need him. Dallas don't need him. Like, the, the big teams don't need him. Like, I think after what happened, the Lakers aren't probably interested in him anymore anyway. So that's what I'm trying to say is, like, you've got to figure out a way. Like, how can I get a team to take him? I don't know. Was there a conversation with the Pacers? Because that would have been another good spot for him to go. Uh, Minnesota? That would have been perfect for this dude. (laughs) Well, Minnesota. I mean, well, I don't know. 
he might very well give me give me uh D'Angelo Russell and I'll give you Kemba and we'll call it a day. But then again, I don't know what D'Angelo Russell's salary is. Like you gotta dump the salary. He's he not gonna be able to he's not worth what he's getting paid. Like his agent worked that room and, and got his client the best contract possible. No, he, he definitely he definitely capitalized to the you know on that on that scenario. So it was the perfect time for him to be a free agent. It was the perfect time for the Celtics to kind of swoop in because they were sour off the Kyrie Irving thing, and you know it was just it was the right time for both, but it was a it ended up being a bad fit. Whereas what well, the funny thing is that Terry Rozier ended up going to Charlotte and taking Kemba Walker's place, and Terry Rozier ultimately got. He, he got replaced by LaMelo Ball. So, you know, it's one of those things that it's definitely, you know, you, you try to get as much money as you can. That's just the nature of sports these days, especially, you know, in contracts. You're, you're looking to get the most security and just kind of get as much AAV as you can. But I don't think he'll be long on that team. Just because the simple fact that Sam Presti has this wizardry about him where he moves players, even some players that you don't necessarily think are desirable, and he'll get he'll get stuff for them. Like he'll get players you've never heard of, and that system just works. He'll get he'll just keep accumulating draft capital, and it all just seems to just keep chugging along in Oklahoma City. They they rarely have wretched seasons. They may be under 500, but not to the point where number they're never number one pick bad. But I think Sam Presti is definitely on – he's on the right track, and I definitely think it will it could end up being a fleecing, especially with the next move. Because I, I don't think Kemba Walker finishes the season at Oklahoma City. You can't help but smile when you see a balloon. The simplest occasion is a party. Westchester Popstar is located in New Rochelle, New York, offers balloon styling and decor for all life's events. Birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, showers, school and corporate events, store openings, or just because. Westchester Popstars takes balloons and shapes them into works of art, creating decorative installations for your special occasions. No event is too big or too small, and their custom personalization service is top notch. Westchester Popstars is a private studio, quickly expanding. In-person consultation is by appointment only. Send an email to westchesterpopstars at gmail.com for more information or to schedule an appointment. No need to hire an event stylist. All you need is balloons. Currently servicing Westchester, Putnam, New York City, and Connecticut. To find Westchester Popstars, search for them on Instagram, Facebook, or Google. an interesting uh, little social media display the other day in honor of Pride Month. Uh, Carl Nassib, defensive end for the Las Vegas Raiders, came out an NFL first uh, via Instagram video. And not only did he publicly announce that he is gay, he also made a $100,000 donation to the Trevor Project, which is a great organization. They help um, 
They're a nonprofit organization that focuses on suicide prevention for LGBTQIA plus that population. Is this a big deal, a little deal, or no deal? Yeah. You know, it's it's hard for me to say. I'm not really sure. I don't want to sound insensitive on this, but I, I don't need to really know the sexuality of my players. I just, you know, I want to watch them play football. I want to watch them mm. play basketball. I want to see them do business on the field. I'm happy for the guy. I'm sure this is an incredible, this is an incredibly brave thing for him to do. And I'm sure it's been sitting on his shoulders and he's wanted to let it out for, for quite some time. So I, I'm just not sure if it's a big deal, a little deal or no deal. Hmm. I'm going to say that it's actually, it's a, it's a thing where it can be all three, you know? It's a big deal for him on a personal level. Um, it also is a big deal from the standpoint of breaking stigma, you know? Football is generally considered a macho sport, a manly sport. And, you know, to be considered other than macho is a sign of weakness, and for him, for Carl Nassib to come out and say, this is who I am. And, you know, if you are and if you ever feel comfortable, you can, too. You can do this, too, and not worry about being stigmatized as effeminate or, you know, less than yourself. You know, I think that's a big deal for not just him, but for the future of the NFL and its inclusivity. Um it depends on the market. I mean, Las Vegas, I doubt if it, I mean, I don't know if it's going to make a big deal, big splash in Las Vegas. Like I said, New York, it's not really, I mean, it's not a big deal in, I mean, in terms of the population. I mean, there, we, I'm sure that we have encountered many gay people. I, I know I have, and it's, you know, it's what it is. It doesn't really matter, you know? Like, who, who you are as a person matters more. I, I just don't, don't be a dick. Like, that, that's a, you know, that, that's my motto. Just don't be a dick and we're cool. And I could also see it being kind of a big deal in more conservative markets, too, to where people are, people will backlash, there'll be backlash for whatever reason. So whether it's, you know, on religious grounds or cultural grounds or anything like that. I mean, anything is possible. It is Pandora's box. That's the problem with being the first, even though Michael Sam was truly the first, I I think sometimes that sometimes we, we forget that it's happened before. And I think Michael Sam needs a little credit for what he did. And um, as far as Carl Nassim goes, good for you. And um, I hope that, you know, you can live your life unburdened. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I feel like Michael Sam really broke the barrier. Like the first one through the fence always gets the barrage and the next one walks through okay. So, I, I you know, this wasn't – the NFL is trying to toot this as the first actively, but I remember Michael Sam. And, uh, you know, I, I, just want, I just want Carl to be judged by his ability to play the game and not who he's dating off the field and what he's doing off the field. I just think that's a little ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, kudos to him. And if anyone else wants to do it, I hope they're empowered by Carl. Uh, it's just not something – and maybe it's just because 
you know, like we're from New York and we see this stuff all the time. It's just, it's not really important to me. I don't, I don't need to know about it. I need to hear about it, but you're good for him and I'm happy for him. Absolutely. And it's, this is, it's not an easy topic to transition into something else, but we're definitely going to give it a shot. Uh, Both the Islanders and the Golden Knights are on the brink of elimination. The Islanders are actually on right now as we speak. So based on what you've seen in the series, who survives? You know, I, I think, I think the better question is, is what the fuck happened? Like what happened? <laughs> what happened to the Islanders and the Golden Knights? Like what was last week we were talking about, Oh man, Islanders look so great. They went down to Tampa. They beat them. Uh, they, they have they, they, the, It's looking great for them. We're talking about Fleury and how he's stopping everything. And Montreal's got no chance for the Golden Knights. Now we're talking about, man, who's, who's on the brink of elimination? Who's not going to go to the next round? I mean, I penciled both of these teams in for the Stanley Cup Finals. Then the Islanders, the Islanders get their dicks kicked in by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Eight nothing down in Tampa recently. So now they got to win a game at home and then they got to go back down to Tampa to win game seven. Yikes. Uh, the Can- the Canadians hung three on flurry in Vegas, but now Vegas is in a good position because they, they got to go to Montreal and if they could win that game, then they get their game seven back in their building. Having said all that, even though the Islanders are currently down one nothing, I am actually still going to stick with the Islanders just because I think they're the better team. I think, I think they think their chances are better than the Golden Knights at this point. I would agree from the simple standpoint that they play better defense than the Golden Knights. Varlamov has stabilized the goaltending position now that Sorokin is on the bench. The Golden Knights, they're in a little bit of a pickle because, yeah, Flurry, you know, up until now has been great, but he definitely did not, he did not post the last game. And Robin Leonard actually came in, had to start a game, and he was phenomenal after not playing since May. So they have a little bit, they have a little bit to work on in terms of who's going to be in goal and, their stars need to come out. Pacioretty, Stone, Petrangelo, Martinez, Tuck. They need to show up the way that Stamkos, Kalorn, Yanni Gord, and the other players on the Lightning, the higher level players on the Lightning. Kucherov. Kucherov showed up. I mean, he had some. He had a couple of assists, but he didn't put one in the net. So. Yeah, eight nothing happened last year too. Game one, the game one they lost. The Islanders lost eight nothing. They lost this one eight nothing. So when Tampa Bay gets hot and Steven Stamkos remembers he's on the ice, you can put eight. They can easily put eight on anybody. So I'm not surprised about that. But I just I still don't think that as well as Montreal playing they are not as good. They're not as talented. Carey Price cannot do everything for them. Whereas in the Lightning series, like that is way, I mean, that, that game felt like an aberration. The Islander, that, that eight, nothing game felt off. It felt like, okay, we're just going to move on from it, burn it on to the next one. And we are still in this, but 
the, the Golden Knights, DeBoer needs to get on his best players' cases and figure out, like, is Flurry the guy or is Leonard the guy? Because if you have two goalies, you have no goalie. Figure it out. <laughs> figure it the fuck out. You're running out of time. Are you in need of air care maintenance or service? I have the company for you. Air Care Technicians. They service the Westchester and Northern Bronx area and can help you with all your heating and cooling maintenance and service needs. Just give them a call at 914-315-1547. Again, that's 914-315-1547. Or shoot them an email at aircaretechnicians at gmail.com. These guys are the real deal as they are veteran-owned, licensed, and insured. Make sure to tell them that DNZ sent you. It's time for the mail route on the fade route. If you want to join us, email faderoutemail at gmail.com. Questions, comments, picks, you name it. FaderoutMail at gmail.com. All right, boys and girls, we have an overflowing, an overflowing mailbox for you today. There we go. Is that dial-up? It is. The things you need to do sometimes in order to make a show happen. You've got mail. Woo! Email number one from Randolph in Brooklyn, friend of the show, member of the in crowd. What's up, bros? What do you make of Stephen A's dumbass comments about Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker, and which one is more asinine? I love that you're back in the Bronx and we can hear sirens. That's amazing. Uh, so, uh, just so everyone knows, you know, he came out with comments about Devin Booker saying he's the next Kobe Bryant, and then the other thing he said was Donovan Mitchell is the best player in Utah Jazz history. Okay, so. For Devin Booker, no part of Devin Booker's game is remotely similar to Kobe Bryant. The Suns are in the playoffs because of Chris Paul, not because of Devin Booker. Devin Booker does not have the Mamba mentality, all right? So stop. For Donovan Mitchell, the best player in Utah Jazz history, why? Because he scores a lot of points? Hello, Carl Malone is like second all time in points. John Stockton is number one all-time in assists. They're part of the dream team. Guess what, Stephen A? If there was a dream team today, Donovan Mitchell would not be a part of it. So Mitchell is not never gonna never gonna crack the top ten in assists. He's never gonna top. He's never gonna uh, get in the top five in points. So the comments are asinine. You're looking for attention, and unfortunately, I think we just gave it to him. Well, you know, anytime they're talking about you, it's good. But um, 
I think they really need to change the name of that show from first take to worst take. <laughs> I mean, it's just both of them are stupid. I'm just going to throw that out. <laughs> both of them are stupid. Flat out stupid. And I don't care. You know, you can just. Oh, God. Stephen you a. just lose your credibility. You lose yeah, your credibility. No. Like, you say things to get attention. And why? Like, it's just. It, it points more to you not knowing what the fuck you're talking about. I don't, Donna I don't. Mitchell, Donna Mitchell, the thing about that is that he could be, eventually, maybe, once his career is done, he, he may very well be up there with Carl Malone, with John Stockton, shit with Darren Williams. He's not even on that level yet. He's still got to play it out, but you definitively say right now, all time, just no, no, not even close. And, you know, like Kobe Bryant, can we not try and find the next Kobe Bryant and just appreciate Devin Booker for who he is and just let him be the first Devin Booker? Kobe Bryant, there aren't many that can fill that kind of fill that mold. You know, there, there aren't many LeBron Jameses. There aren't many Michael Jordans. In fact, there aren't, there are only one, there's only one of each. And to just try and equivocate the two of them based on some criteria, I don't even know. It just shows that you have no idea what you're talking. Email number two from Steve in Hunts Point. Guys, the Mets lost four pitchers in two days. Are they coming back to Earth? I'll take this one if you don't mind. Yeah, they're definitely coming back to Earth, but that's not because of the pitching. Yes, you yes, you lost Lucchese. Yes, you lost Gaselman. Yes, you lost Familia. Yes, you lost Stroman due to a hip injury. Strom is the only one who's not going to be on the IL. Lucchese's out for the season, but I mean, he was getting bombed anyway. Gaselman was finally having a good year. He's out for two months. Who knows where, what he's going to be when he gets back. Familia, honestly, Familia had a nice rebound year. I could have seen him being an all-star. But, you know, he's got a little bit of, a, of an issue. Hopefully it doesn't impact him for too long. I'm more concerned about the offense. They've been shut out four times in the last 10 games. Granted, they're putting a whooping on the, on the Braves as of right now, but four times in 10 games they've been shut out. Most recently, they've been shut out 17 consecutive innings. I get it. You know, oh, Conforto was out. McNeil is out. Those guys are coming back now. Now we got to see what this team really is. And this wouldn't be the first time in Mets history that they've gotten guys back and actually taken a slide. So they couldn't, they're not going to be as good as they were. They're not going to be the drizzling shits. They're somewhere in the middle. And this period of time with all the double headers brought on by weather delays and weather uh, rainouts, snowouts, uh, COVID, the weekend series with the Nationals. This is going to bring the Mets back to the pack a little bit. And 
The question is, how do they survive from here? Uh, SNY put a nice, an interesting question out there. If you're the Mets, do you explore trading for Jose Barrios from Minnesota? And I got to say, if the price is right, bring him in. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't think injuries will bring them down to earth. I think it's, if, if, I I think it, competition is going to bring them down to earth. They may not, they're not seeing really enough of it, and they won't really see it until October. The Braves aren't playing well. The Phillies are more concerned with substances on pitchers' hands. So I just, uh, I see competition bringing them down to earth, and they may not hit that until August, September, October. Speaking of the Phillies and the, the substance checking, you see the Rizzo comments afterwards that uh, Joe Girardi is a con artist for trying to get Max Scherzer checked for a third time? I didn't see his comments, but, I mean, I kind of agree. It's like, listen, dude, if you didn't find it the first two times, like, let it go. Part of this thing is gamesmanship. I think there's rules in the – in. I think there was actually rules to this where you can't, you know – you can't go after it like this and you're, you're, you're hurting the game by doing it. Uh, he's dealing. And the other thing is, is now that these pitchers can't use the spider tack and can't use all this other stuff, if they're grabbing their hair and they're, they're scuffing the ball with their hands, like leave them alone. Like they're trying to figure out how can I grip the baseball because I can't use the stuff I used to use. So this Girardi thing, I feel like every week we're talking about Joe Girardi. Just, dude, let the guy pitch. Let him deal. Like I said, if they found something the first, there's got to be something in play where you can't just keep asking for this. If he didn't have it the first two times, he's not going to have it the third time. That's true. So there's got to be something put in play. There's got to be some kind of consequence for shit like this. Whether that, I mean, putting it into effect in such short notice is definitely falls on Rob Manfred. Shocker. Rob Manfred has done something half-assed again. But, you know, there needs to be some consequence that if you try and, you know, circumvent the rule in order to, you know, gain a competitive advantage, trying to, like, slow the game down, get the pitcher's head a little bit, you know, take away a mound visit. Like, I don't know, something, you know? Uh, There's got to be something that you can do. There's got to be some sort of consequence that you can levy in real time to kind of deter from these things happening on a regular basis. But if you really want to get some, you know, if you really want to get some sticky stuff on, just run your hand through Bryce Harper's hair. Max Scherzer's mm-hmm. right, man. Like, your, your hand might stick to his head. Never mind the ball. Email number three from X on the two line. Hypothetical situation. Okay, Weird way to start email. No, hello. No, what's up? Nothing. Okay. Hypothetical situation. Yankees have a runner on third and one out. Who do you trust to get a big hit? <laughs> That's funny. Gio Urshela. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, like if, if I'm, if I'm in the moment, yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking along the lines of, D, uh, DJ LeMayhew and Gio Urshela, but I, yeah, I mean, I think surprisingly, I think John Carlos Stanton 
and Gary Sanchez, not Gary Sanchez, but I think Giancarlo Stan and Aaron Judge actually have a decent batting average with runners in scoring position, somewhere in like 260s and the 280s. But if I'm on the spot right now, I'd say Gio Urshela, DJ LeMayu, but not many people, not for that payroll. There's only one or two guys I could really count on. Well, it certainly isn't Brett Gardner. We know that. Pop that guy. That guy. <laughs> How he is still his job. And can't Mike run Tommy, the bases and he can't see. No. And, and yet Mike Talkman's in San Francisco. Way to go, guys. Way to go, Cash. Um, as far as performance this year goes, I actually wouldn't touch uh, DJ LeMahieu right now. His swing's a little too big, and he's been striking out a lot lately. So I don't know if he is just trying to, you know, create launch angle. I don't know if he's getting out over his skis a little bit, but right now he's just not where he usually is. He's not as locked in as normal. I would go with Giancarlo Stanton, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He has that inside-out swing going. He's not swinging for the fences, and he, he's trying to produce more contact, and it's been working for him so far. But there aren't many guys in this lineup that you would say with any degree of certainty that <laughs> I, I can get this done. They're going to produce contact. I mean, sacrifice flies maybe, but not – not solid contact to get a hit. Even infield up, like I, I just don't see it. I mean, Stanton is the only one right now who's getting the job done. And a bonus email, guys. We have a fourth email for you from Ralph on Arthur Avenue. What's up, guys? Does John Tavares regret leaving the Islanders? Uh... I'd say no. I mean, he's playing for his favorite team that he had as a kid, right? I mean, he was he always may still a maple. Have those bed sheets. He might still have those bed sheets. I, 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 I don't think it gets better than that, right? You're playing for your childhood team. Uh, I also think it's a wash. I think even if the Islanders had him, they wouldn't be any better than they are without him. So, I think I think everyone's kind of good with the the situation. I'll give you 77 million reasons why he's okay. <laughs> you want that in quarters, pennies, or dollar bills. There's no way in hell the Islanders were going to pay him that. And, yeah, you're just going to have to deal with it, man. If you're on the Toronto Maple Leafs next year, or if you're someplace else, that money's guaranteed. But he got – John Tavares got paid. So – I don't think he loses a minute of sleep knowing that the Islanders are in the playoffs while he's playing golf. At the end of the day, that's sports. Like, your loyalty can be bought. Like the Million Dollar Man once said, everybody's got a price. Everybody's got a price. Everybody's going to pay. <laughs> I'm getting hungry over here. Should have cooked up some dinner. And if you're looking for a new cooking show to binge, check out As You Eat It on YouTube, hosted by me, Chef Z. I invite you into my home and show you what and how I cook when I'm off the clock as a chef instructor. You're going to learn fun recipes and creative methods to empower and inspire you in the kitchen and take it to the next level. Cook how you want to cook, eat how you want to eat, 
eat as you eat it. That's as you eat it, available only on YouTube. AZ, you eat it. Check it out and let's get cooking. Order up. All right, boys and girls, you know how it goes. From five to one. This week, we are ordering up. Order up, order up. Order up. The best NFL defensive duos from five to one. Who you got, D? Uh, all right, I got some Pittsburgh Steeler action. I got uh, Cameron Hayward, TJ Watt. I mean, they're pretty formidable. Uh, number four, I mean, probably could have went lower on this, but I'm going with them at four as Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. They haven't really mm-hmm. gotten to play together for like a whole season, like healthy. And, you know, looking at this Denver Broncos roster, they're pretty good. I mean, I think they can make some noise. Um, number three for me is another Watt. It's it's J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. It remains to be seen how well this Cardinals team is going to play with all these stars on it. But, I mean, he didn't really tag well with Joe Davion Clowney when he was in Houston. But I, Chandler Jones is a different animal. He is a really good defensive player. He's probably one of the best defensive ends in football. So I'm really curious to see how that pans out. Number two, this almost was my number one, is Chase Young and Montez Sweat. That Redskins Ooh, defense, that Red, that Redskins defense is ferocious. Not formidable, but ferocious. Like they shut people down. They're athletic, and they got one of the best defensive coaches in the game coaching them. In um, uh, what's his name over there in Washington? Uh, so Rivera? number yeah, Rivera. Riverboat Ron. And then number one for me, maybe surprising to you, is is Xavion Howard and Byron Jones. I really think that as two corners, they're as close to shutdown as Revis and um, Cromartie were. And they're they're really going to help out that Dolphins defense. Great choices. Some outside-the-box options. For me, I'm not necessarily going for same position group. I'm looking for defensive Next, duos. Diff- on, yeah. Different so levels, not, different levels. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. I mean, they're on the same team. They're on the same defense. They're complementing each other in different ways. Like there's sure. different ways you can look at, uh, look at this and what makes a defensive duo. For me, number five, I'm going Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. A very yeah, underrated group. And yeah, that's excellent. They're averaging – seven and a half sacks, each one of them, when they play together. So that is pretty formidable. Number four, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward in Cleveland. You have Miles Garrett getting to the quarterback. Denzel Ward, when he's on the field, he is exceptional as a quarter, as a cornerback. And I think once you, you add in John Johnson on there and Greedy Williams, that secondary is going to be very, very formidable. Number three, Chandler Jones and Buda Baker. Again, another another second-level combination. Chandler Jones, exceptional at getting to the quarterback. And then Buda Baker is one of the best in the secondary in all of the NFL. Number two, the elite of that first-level, third-level, 
Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. Like Aaron Donald, it's a beast. Like you cannot dispute his talent. Jalen Ramsey is he a loudmouth? You bet your ass he's a loudmouth. But he's one of the best shutdown corners, if not the best shutdown corner in all of the NFL. And that's another order up for another day, best shutdown corner. We can definitely, you know, do that one. And it might be easier than trying to pick a better or best defensive duo. And number one, your reigning, defending, Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers present Shaq Barrett and JPP. I'm sure Patrick Mahomes can agree on their level of ability and performance. But that's our five to one. What's your five to one? Hit us up at Fade Route Podcast on IG, Fade Route Mail at gmail.com, or DM us on Twitter at Fade Route DNZ and let us know. Well, this has been the Fade Route with DNZ. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You can catch our podcast on Wednesday nights on Anchor, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, stay faded, everyone. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Rate us five stars. Leave us a review. Turn on subscription notifications and tell your friends. Spread the word. Spread it wide.